Firefit podcast. This series, Max and Johnny explore how to become the master of your mindset. Hello. <laughs> no, we did that perfect time. Hello and welcome back to the Firefit podcast. Uh, this is episode seven of our eight-week mindset block. Hello. Uh, Johnny's asked if we're going to do a deload, but I don't think we are. Just going to cruise straight through. We're going to do the stupid thing and continue to train, even though. What's the next eight-week block? Do you know? Movement. Is it? Yes. Ooh, I have to brush up on my anatomy. <laughs> well, it's not going to be anatomy based. Fair um, enough. <laughs> right. Um, today we have uh, quite a varied class, actually. So the warm up is about approaching mindsets, sorry, approaching workouts with different mindsets for training and competing. Mm-hmm. We've touched on that a little bit on and off um, over the last few podcasts as well. So hopefully we can kind of give a bit more of a definitive answer today. Mm-hmm. Um, strength section is our take on that sugar is the root of all evil. It's not, it's money. Money is, money is the root money of all is evil. Not um, I can't wait to hear Johnny talk about <laughs> that one. That's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot to unpack there. And then the workout is about alter egos and trigger switches, which are um, a couple of tools we can do to help sorry don't do a couple of tools we can use to help us with our mindset when we're in the gym yeah in workouts or potentially competing <clears throat> so to start us off with the warm-up we have the question from brad this week he did not want to remain rename remain, remain anonymous. anonymous right i didn't That's know if um brad asks how should you approach workouts differently when training versus competing do you want to do that first, your take on that? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I think this is quite clear, actually, and I want to give a really clear and simple and concise answer, which is um, competing only has one goal, mm-hmm. and it is to maximise your score on that particular day. Training could have a plethora. A plethora, is that right? Yeah. Plethora. 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 A plethora of um, goals, depending on what you're trying to work on, what you're trying to improve. For example, if a workout is you know for time the Mm -hmm. only goal when you're competing is to do it as fast as possible yeah but when you're training you might do the workout it might say four time but you might actually intentionally get give yourself a slower time by for example sticking with double unders or sticking with butterfly chest bars Mm -hmm. when potentially you'd be faster if you just went to normal kipping Mm -hmm. um because you want to work on it so the goal there is to develop my chest bars Whereas, and so the goal could change. The goal could be, I want to build my aerobic base. I want to work on developing my chest bars. I want to work on whatever, grip strength. Yeah. I want to work on my mindset. There's a million different goals that you could have in training, but there's only one goal you could be in, and that is maximize your score. How do you think that someone could work out on the day what they should focus on when they're training versus competing when they come into the class? Ooh, on the day... (laughs) On the day, I'd probably say it's too, it's probably too late. You could, you could, you know, fastball something, but probably takes a bit of planning, I'd say. Like right. maybe the night before or the week before, if you know you're training in advance, you know, looking and going, okay, I know that my weaknesses are X, Y, Z. Yeah. And Tuesday's workout, my weakness is wall balls, you know, high volume wall balls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tuesday workout, it's got high volume wall balls this week. It had lots of them. Right. Um, and so you might say, right, no matter what, I'm going to go and break on the wall balls, even if I have to have a three minute rest after right. a set of wall balls yeah, yeah. on Tuesday, because I know I need to work on high volume wall balls. 
I could do it faster if I was competing by doing mm-hmm. sets of 10 and dropping it, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm training it. So my goal is to go for as, as many reps unbroken as possible. And so, yeah, I think it takes a bit of pre-planning on the day. Maybe ask the coach. I would you know, suggest yeah, that. Yeah. Um, coaches know individual athletes and weaknesses quite well. So they might be able to give you a little bit more guidance on the day of like, oh, I don't really know how to attack this workout. What do you think I, I could get best? Like the, I could get the most out of it from. Yeah, yeah. Like, what speak, would you say? Uh, speaking with the coach was my my first camera, thing. by the way. Oh, I forgot that we were recording <laughs> our videos. I'm close to my uh, tired eyes. Yeah, so speaking with the coach was one of my first thoughts because, as you said, they'll know the person and also the theme of the workout and the like cycle you're in. So the intention behind the cycle as well as the intention of the workout that's yeah. always really important. As we mentioned about competing versus training in the past. As, and as you rightly said, competing is fastest time, no matter what happens, uh, biggest lift, no matter what happens, yes. like, you know, and, that, and that's when you reach that threshold of technique versus intensity. Right. And I think when you're training, you want to stay behind that so that your technique comes to the foreground more. And as you said, it could be, I want to practice my high volume balls. You could say, no matter what I'm going to do my chest to bar pull-ups in sets of this, because I know that beyond that, they start to break down. Mm. Same with something like toes to bar or handstand push-ups. It could be, I'm going to, with this 10 minute AMRAP, I'm going to focus on trying to move at the same pace continuously. And I'm going to track my laps and make sure that each lap is the same time or try to, so that I'm practicing that consistency of pacing. And it then, it does depend on what you want out of it. For back squats, heavy back squats, you could say, I want to do each set of three at the same weight. And I want to make sure I practice my tempo on the way down because I have a tendency to drop into the hole too fast mm. and, and lose 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 the, my tension, lose my strength. And I've heard that going slower on the way down is better because it allows you to engage more muscles um, and come up better. Mm. Which it That's does, a really good way. point. Like one of the main reasons that you want to train is to learn. So like try different things and yeah, experiment. Like, you know, you might want to just see where your red line is, for example, on like a rowing workout. So mm. you might actually go in and go, I'm going to absolutely smash this first 500 meter row yeah. to the detriment of the workout. Like, yeah, it does annoy me a little bit sometimes when you hear CrossFit coaches just constantly talking about pacing, like you've got to pace, you've got to pace, you've got to pace, you've got to pace. Well, there are a time and a place to blow up. Yeah, and you get a better training stimulus from that. If that's your body's like, yeah, if that's the point. And yeah, like, it's like doing learn. grace. You don't yeah. pace grace. Yeah, you just go. People learn like, oh, that five hundred was too fast for me. But if you don't actually ever go too fast, you never figure out what the line is. So the line might be, I can row at one fifty five per five hundred, and then get off and go straight to thrusters. If you don't ever try one forty five per five hundred, then you don't learn. And I think one of the goal, main goals of training is learn. Yeah. Learning um, experimenting. I think another sort of way to think about it, which you twig, uh, triggered me about that, was about inputs. So I think there's a lot of inputs in training. Um, you, how you slept, how you bet, who you're with, like how your muscles are feeling, your joints are feeling a bit. And it's about listening to those and making informed decisions for the day based on you mm-hmm. when you're training. I always feel like competing is the complete opposite. It's yeah. about ignore external, there's no input that we ignore how your knees are feeling, mm. like to a extent. Mm-hmm. Imagine we're competing at a high level and it's, yeah. it's like, or death or money. Well, you have knee sleeves, belts, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're competing, it's about, I don't care how I've slept. I don't care how I feel. I don't care if my joints are sore. I don't care. Like the goal is to win. The goal is to 
get this workout done as fast as possible. Yeah, and, and we just mentioned that about assistant stuff and just in case it wasn't heard on another podcast, I, I think that's another thing too in that for me, training, I don't wear any assistance stuff at all, like no lifters, no belts, no sleeves because I'm not competing. I'm not trying to get a one rep max. I'm not putting my body on the line for a result as I would do if I was competing. Yeah. I'm instead training with stimulus. My squats are slower. I don't bounce out of the hole. I don't... Um, I don't push that technique uh, barrier yeah. unless I'm trying to test my one at max. And again, exactly. that's very rare because most of the time I'm training for a stimulus. Yeah, and to go back to the answer, the reason for that is because you're not trying to maximize your score on that day. No. You know, you're about, I want the muscles to feel strong and my joints to be healthy and I want, you know, all those things. Yeah, stimulus. <clears throat> cool. Wicked. On to the next part of the podcast, which is our take on a popular fitness concept. Uh, which is that this week, <laughs> sugar is the root of all evil. Don't worry, we, won't, we don't need to spend too long here because well, I can recommend a great podcast that goes into more depth than we can okay, purely cool. because they have all of the notes written down, yeah. all the science about it. And you know, you texted me this at eight o'clock this morning. So I had a little time to Bit prepare. Prep. But what, I, what I'd say is that in, in every generation or, or, or layers of generation, we have the scapegoat. And when we were younger, and our parents were younger, it was fat. Fats was the scapegoat. Yeah. Everything was low fat. Fats was bad. Low yeah. fat diet. If, if you everything's eat fat, bad, you'll be fat. Exactly. And now it's sugar. Government policy is taxed on sugar. Let's tax sugar. Let's, it needs to be more expensive and then we'll consume less of it. And we've not actually looked at the trends of everybody's blaming higher BMIs on, on sugar. Everybody's blaming uh, all cause mortality, diabetes, and all these things on sugar. But if you look at the graphs of average weight gain, if you look at the graphs of Sugar intake, these things have been coming down actually for last 10, 20, maybe even 30 years. I can't remember the graphs exactly, but there's not that correlation that people says, say there is. And if we look at, because food processing has a, has a link here where there's a big thing about don't eat processed food, don't eat sugar. You mentioned inflammation. I know we're going to go into it. And there's a lot of all of that language thrown around. And really that, that language concludes the natural fallacy that everything natural must be therefore better for you. And of course, there are plenty of natural things that we shouldn't consume at all. And if we look at the industrial revolution, which started to bring in more food processing, so food would last longer because of the scarcity of food in that environment and the war and all the rest of it, there again, wasn't trends in people's negative health outcomes. That, that for me has been much later than the addition of processed food. Sugar is your body's main source of fuel and your brain's main source of fuel. And your body really doesn't recognize where it gets that from. It's just the speed in which it's broken down. So sugar itself is, table sugar is, is glucose, which is one of the three quote unquote simple sugars, which just means monosaccharide, fructose, glucose. And that other one is, oh God, test my sucrose. Table sugar is sucrose, isn't it? I'm coming across really bad now. Well, there's glucose, dextrose, fructose. Well, dextrose isn't a simple, dextrose no. isn't a mono, no. So there, there, there's my lack of prep there and reading my notes. But anyway, it all gets broken down into the same, into the same thing, which is glucose into, into the blood. Yeah. So the speed of which it's digested doesn't really matter unless you have diabetes. And this is the thing is that people are starting to, to get obsessed with blood sugar spikes. And if you're a person without diabetes and your insulin works correctly, a blood sugar spike post meal is a natural response to a meal and that your body will have these spikes of uh, blood 
Insulin will get produced. It will then store that sugar. The spike will come down. You'll eat the next meal. That will happen. It will peak. It will come down. It will peak. It will come down. The issue is when there's an excess there. And that's when I'm saying that the devil is in the dose. Yeah. And that, that's person agree. dependent. Yeah, that's such a good line. And it's, it's therefore people are blaming sugar and inflammation. And as I said, inflammation is a natural response in the cell as well. Cells get damaged, they get inflamed. When you get ill, cells get inflamed. When you train, cells get inflamed. But your body has processes to recover and then it comes back to baseline. I think the issue is not the food environment per se. The food environment is higher sugar, higher calorie than it ever has been, but the devil is in the dose and the devil I think is in the lifestyle. We are putting so much onus on the food rather than saying we have 24 hour, we have 24 hour technology focused lifestyles. Mm. Everybody's working on their laptops, especially now post pandemic Mm. more, more than ever because of remote working and, and the lack of them commuting to and from an office or even having outside based jobs compared to laptop based jobs from a flexibility of lifestyle. We're moving less than ever in terms of exercise, regular life. We're then eating this modern food environment. We're not sleeping as well. We're constantly on laptops and phones and technology. We're constantly wired on, constantly emailing, constantly working, really shitty boundaries with work-life balance. And so then, you know, there's low family time, low relationship time, low sun exposure, low water intake. Poor quality relationships. Poor quality, um, yeah, exactly. Poor quality of everything. Attached to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that in itself, that's the the storm. And we just, we want a scapegoat. Yeah. Because for the government, it's easy to go, let's just blame sugar and tax it rather than let's have a look at all of this and all of the social determinants of health and try and improve everything on a baseline. Passion. But in, in more detail of that, check out the maintenance <laughs> no. phase podcast on sugar because yeah. they go really into it, into government policies. It's a really good episode. So I have my own agenda behind some of these concepts you probably spotted. Um, <laughs> and yeah, as this sparked from a conversation, I have my wife who uh, has been listening to a lot of uh, the TED podcast, uh, not TED, sorry, uh, what's it called? Zoe podcast. Tim Spector. Tim Spector. And um, like... I think we just need to be careful about these big swings from one side to the other. And yeah. then like actually the blood sugar spike and then release of insulin and then the drop in that is actually a pretty normal function as mm-hmm. long as it's functioning properly. And like yes. I say, as long as it's not overdosed, uh, overdosed, overused and something like exercise, for example, is a key part of that. Choices is a key part of that. Like it's not, sugar is not the evil no, the dose is the evil. That's it, because combined with everything else that we're facing at the moment, like when would yeah. you, as a nutrition expert, say that is a good time for people? Like when should should sugar be consumed? You know, for example. Well, that's the thing. Like we all say, like we just call it sugar, mm. and it's then it's dependent on the form that, yeah, that comes yeah, in, as I yeah. mentioned. So something that uh, is more, let's say, bread, for example there's differences in bread yeah like white bread versus whole grain and that's usually a difference in the flour as well as the fiber content there so the fiber content slows down the digestion mm-hmm. of the uh, food and then it, sh- it slows down the blood uh, the sugar entering the blood for that reason whereas if you eat a jelly baby 
straight in. Straight in it's yeah. simple. It's easily broken down, and therefore the speed is higher. I love that. Like for the video. <laughs> for yeah. the video, yeah, everything's video. Straight I've been down. using the, the spikes as well. <laughs> get get more on video, but you can tell there then that um, the speed of digestion is is what causes the spike, right? Mm. The level of the, the height of the spike or the length of the spike, and. As I mentioned, for somebody who's got a, a healthy working body with regards to isn't diabetic and has a good insulin response, we'll just process that and get on by. For people who are more active, they'll need more carbohydrates than people who are less active. And particularly for people who are training more regularly or at higher intensities, the speed of the digestion there does matter more than for the everyday person. Yeah, right? so, so you're saying like, because I'm active, I'll be my blood sugar level will be dropping. Yeah. And so eventually, I'm going to need to bring it back up again. And your body's going to use stored glucose, uh, stored um, glucose in the body, stored glycogen. It's going to break that down, bring glucose into the blood as needed. But you only have so much glycogen stores, and thereby, if you're depleting them every day, which isn't impossible, depending on the volume of training, particularly for an endurance athlete, mm. they're going to need to take more in um, for that to be to remain level. And for regular people, it's it's unlikely you're going to be depleting your glycogen stores, but it's why there's benefit to eating before training, um, eating after training, and and having that benefit then to know that you are taking in enough to perform well and get and get a good adaptation from training. But what my point is is that even if you had some sweets every now and then, or some uh, white white carbohydrates like white bread or white pasta. Your body, as long as it's healthy, is going to process that. When you pair those things with protein, with fats, with fiber, slows down the digestion of it. And that's where food pairing becomes important for satiety, for staying full. And you don't need to worry about your blood sugar spikes if you haven't got an issue. And that's what I don't like about the Zoe protocol per se. I think some of the research they've done on gut health and stuff is really ahead of its time. Mm. We can't make definitive conclusions from it yet. And I think to do so is jumping the gun. I think they're, they've got certain conclusions and theories from certain research that they're then acting on too quickly, in my opinion, and the, the opinion of other evidence-based professionals. And I think hyper-analyzing your blood sugar spikes, unless you have reason to do so, I think that can just make people too obsessed in, an, in a not helpful way. And, yeah. and I think I see a lot of that in wellness culture, as I mentioned, with the natural fallacy of like, Oh, it all needs to be 100% natural. It needs to be clean. It needs to be healthy. It needs to be perfect because then you're you're really hyper analyzing on that, which could have a detriment to social health, financial health, even overall health and well-being. Like you mm. might have that restrictive of food intake that actually you start to get digestive issues, which has been seen. Yeah. And unfortunately, well, then you or, think, or oh, even, my digestive issues because I'm worse, not doing like, well enough. I, I need to yeah, do it more. You turn into a nasty person and then fall out with your loved one. Like, that's <laughs> much more... Important. This isn't a personal story. No, no. Sorry. no. Um, yeah. Okay. What's the mechanism? Why is ex why is sugar being called the root of all evil? And what's the excess? Like, if you've got excessive consumption on a regular basis, what's what's the mechanism of injury? Basically, what's going to happen? Yeah, I think that's why people blame it so much, right? It's because because we are seeing or have seen an increase in lifestyle related diseases um, like diabetes and 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 heart disease and things like that um, in the population people are then turning to forms of processed food and fast foods that are high in sugar and saying that it's, it's because of our consumption of these foods. And it's, it's one of those where there's an association with that 
but that doesn't always mean that that's definitively the cause because it's that combination of lifestyle. But what happens if you overconsume these foods versus your activity is effectively there's too much sugar in the blood, right? So when you, when you eat carbohydrates, because everybody blames insulin, right? They're like insulin stores fat, blah, blah, blah. Insulin stores everything. You produce insulin so that you can turn your protein into storage for amino acids, hair growth, muscle growth, all those things. You produce insulin, it stores carbohydrates, it's glycogen, and it stores fat in the body as well, which you need. You need it to live. So insulin isn't the bad guy. The thing is, is that if you overconsume carbs relative to your activity levels, your body can only store so much glycogen in the muscles and in the liver. And then after that, there's going to still be a certain amount in the blood. If there's still sugar in the blood that isn't being used at that moment in activity, what have you, That's not good. the body produces more insulin mm-hmm. because it's like, we need to do something with this. We need to get rid of it or we need to store it as something. An excess of sugar might be stored as fat, although some research suggests that the amount of energy you need for that process is is quite high so you would need to be excessively eating carbohydrates at quite high levels for quite long periods of time for that conversion of glucose to fat to happen because it's a very expensive process for the body to go through but if your body keeps pumping out insulin the effect of insulin lessens so the amount of it it stores each time lessens which means that then there still remains an excess of sugar in the blood and that over time then causes what's known as insulin resistance because insulin doesn't have as much of an effect anymore. And that in terms is when you get blood sugar issues, which is diabetes type two. And then just quickly for the education our members is what's the other side of that mechanism. So when your blood sugar drops too low, too low, what happens? Well, that's when, if your body can't, um, mobilize glycogen from the body and bring it into the blood to use as activity for activity, that's when your blood sugar drops too low mm-hmm. and that's when you get lightheaded, low energy. That's when people faint, mm-hmm. um, and get really hungry. For example, people might lose weight as a, as a result. That's, and, and it, that's like the opposite side of the spectrum where again, there's, there's like work nasties on either side, right? Too yeah. much sugar, overconsumption of sugar, nasties. Cause if you sugar, under consume no, it, yeah, your no. body's going to have to utilize it from the body yeah. and your body's eventually going to run out. Yeah. Wicked. Like I said, I think that, you know, that could, that answer could have gone on for a lot longer. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot to unpack there, but yeah, just a hot take on something. I think again, it's, it's quite topical. At the moment. I think it's just, let's, let's look at our overall lifestyles rather yeah. than blaming one thing. Yeah. And that's what's really difficult with government policies yeah. because then you need to address adequate healthcare for everybody. You need to address socioeconomic issues activity levels, mm. um, education from a neutral manner, relationship with food, because what we didn't even mention was a lot of people bring up like rat studies to say that sugar's addictive. Look, look at them over consuming sugar. Our sugar releases the same chemical in the brain as drugs. It's like, well, so does hugging a dog, <laughs> right? That doesn't mean I'm addicted to hugging my dog. I mean, I am, if you ask Natalie, she'd say I definitely <laughs> am. But when in the rat studies, sugar is only consumed in excess when it is provided intermittently. So then you draw the conclusion that actually what they're doing is that they're consuming sugar because they want to store it in their body because they're not sure whether, where they'll get it again. They're used to it being taken away from them. Yeah. And there's that modern relationship with food piece where you think if you have food that you deem unhealthy or bad for you or given in 
isolated doses, you are going to latch onto that and eat it in excess because you're not sure when you're next going to get it and your body needs it to live. That's why there's a big kick against over dieting in terms of excessive reduction of calorie intake is that your body's like, shit, I need, I need energy, I need calories. That's when people say they crave sugar. It's like, mm. well, you're probably craving energy. Yeah. You probably either slept badly or you're under eating or both. Absolute shitstorm. Because then your body wants the quickest source of energy it can get and for the biggest bang for its buck. And also then if you think it's bad and then restrict it again, next time you have it, it's going to be like, give me all that. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole like cheat day mindset. Back and forth. Yeah. Slight segue, Jack's currently barbecuing and it smells delicious. Oh yeah, and that's making me hungry. Yeah. Low, so. Oh yeah, we both just trained <laughs> and it's 12 o'clock. So. Right, uh, on to the workout then guys, which is... Um, couple of tools that we can use to help us uh, perform better in training, in the gym, or potentially in a competition setting. Some tools we've got today to look at are alter egos and trigger switches. And this is something um, that you see across all sports. I'm going to give a, um, a boxing example. Johnny's going to give a cricket example, and then we're going to give a crossfit example for it as well. So um, the alter ego is like creating a, a different person within yourself not necessarily a Jekyll and Hyde but an almost different version of yourself you could call it the best version of yourself um, that you need in certain situations an example being is um, Tyson Fury the boxer he has Tyson Fury who is just a normal man who eats pies and chips fish fingers and beans if you listen to his podcast um, he's a normal guy, does the washing up, has the family, spends time with them, whatever. And Tyson Fury feels what normal men feel, i.e. he's worried about fighting, you know, new up and coming fighters who have got good records and he's scared about getting to the ring in front of thousands of, pe- in front of thousands of people and failing potentially and all those things. And he has those natural, normal thoughts. And then he has the opposite, not the opposite, but his other side, his alter ego, which is the Gypsy King. And the Gypsy King doesn't feel fear, knows he's the best in the world, is ready to step in front of the ring and perform in front of everybody and and doesn't feel doubt. And he's created those two different um, parts of himself. And then the trigger switch is when you switch between those two. And for Tyson, if you've listened to his interviews, his switch is the press conference. So when he walks into the press conference, he becomes the Gypsy King. And then he holds the Gypsy King right up until the fight and after the fight night. And then he takes, after he's finished the fight, he takes himself back and he goes home and he does the washing up and he becomes Tyson Fury again. Now that's quite a like far-fetched example, but it, it's easy to talk through in the boxing or fight sports because they often name their alter egos. You know, you get the Notorious, you get Iron Mike Tyson, you get all these people and their switches are quite obvious for everybody, but my question to you guys, the listeners today is like, can you create your own alter ego for yourself in situations that you need to, you know, potentially block out some fears, work on being the best version of yourself, the most confident, the most outgoing version of yourself. Um, yeah, Johnny, you've got a cricket example, seeing as we've got the ashes on the moment. Yeah. So Ben Stokes is the England captain at the minute and he's what they call an all rounder, meaning that he bats and bowls and it's not that he is the best person in the team he's not the best batter not the best bowler and he doesn't have the best record in terms of big scores 50s and hundreds is is the stats that you'd see in batsmen as well as total runs 
uh, or even most wickets, but what Ben does better than any other player is step up to the big occasion. And it's really interesting how, like, the more pressure that's on him, the better he seems to play. And I think he really hypes up to that in terms of being somebody who, if a big occasion is there and a big performance is needed, he's going to step up and he's like, I'm going to be the guy to take that role. I'm not going to leave it to somebody else. I'm going to be that that guy. And he did it four years ago at, at Leeds, at Headingley Heading, Cricket Ground, sorry, when it was, wasn't was even the last day of the, the match and we needed over 200 runs to beat the Australians. We had seven wickets, which means seven other batsmen in hand, but everybody else got out rather than Ben. And Ben was left with our number 11, who is your worst batter and a bowler usually. And he manipulated the play so that he would only hit boundaries. So he'd only hit it over the rope, meaning the other person wouldn't have to face bowling. Uh, even though the Aussies would put everybody back on the boundary to try and stop it. So he'd go over their heads, you know, he'd hit it for six, even though there's a risk of getting out. Yeah. And he would rotate the strike only at the end of the over to protect the other person. And he did that as much as he could. The other person did have to face some deliveries. And there was quite a lot of that in terms of the Australians didn't take their chance, loads of it. But we won the game basically against all odds. And he did something very similar just last week where we needed a shed ton to win. And it was only him and a few of the bowlers actually by this point. And he went from 50 to 155 in quite quick time, but unfortunately got out and we ended up losing the game just the other week. But he also had a big performance when we won our first one day international world cup was the guy that saw us over the line and he, he batted in the super over and everything. So he just seems to pull himself into the big occasion. And I think that for him is, is his like alter ego of I'm not just Ben the cricketer now, like I'm, I need to be the person to get us over the line here. Yeah. And so his trigger switch is quite an interesting one. And that's when it's like the most pressure there is. Yeah. yeah like everybody else is crumbling and, and he's yeah. like, I need to that's be the I'll rock here. Yeah. Um, and so trying to give an example then of a, um, of a crossfitter who uses this type of technique would be, uh, someone like Brent Fikowski, who obviously competes at the highest level. Um, and he's got his kind of alter ego, which is called the professor. Yeah. And they gave that to him, didn't well, they? Because he yeah. was a wasn't he was he a, a doctor, a student of medicine? Was he a counselor? Yeah. Who am I thinking of then? That's Pat Bellner. Pat Bellner. Yeah, okay, medical school, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so the professor, um, he has the you know, Brent has this, you know, alter ego, the professor, and he basically knows when he's in competition and it's a chipper, that, that workout is his. And, yeah. and that's when he brings his best version of himself because it's about strategy, it's about pacing, it's about timing, tempo, all those things, the details. I think he does that with every workout. Yeah. <laughs> He'll have a plan for every yeah. workout. like every. And, and it's funny how we mentioned about training versus competing. Yeah. Because actually, when you then compete, you need to bring that knowledge of training to your competitive floor. Like, how do I pace this workout to get Perfectly. the best score? Yeah. How do, I, that's how what he do does. I gauge these lifts to get He's the probably best not yeah. the best athlete out there, but he, he, he delivers perfectly. He executes perfectly. So, um, like, can we use that in the gym? In that you don't necessarily have to have a crazy name for yourself. You don't have to be the professor or, <laughs> you know, whatever. But you might just be, be able to create a different person for yourself in that when so you can say to yourself, like, when I'm in the gym, I'm not scared to try. I'm going to try everything. When I'm in the gym, I'm, you know, the person that works the hardest in the last two minutes. When I'm in the gym, I'm the person always 
gives everything on the runs. You know, whatever it is, creating that person allows you to deliver your best when you need to. And giving yourself that trigger switch as well. An example for me is when I first started coaching and I had a chat with Jack Fletney. I was, he was like my mentor at the time. And he gave me some really good advice where he said that, because I was a little bit nervous when I first started coaching, you know, you, and the way I compensated for that was being very direct and very military and very authoritarian. Mm. But um, what it stopped me from doing was being like personable and nice and, you know, connecting with people. So, well, you were putting on a front word exactly. because you were nervous. Was, so you were like over-egging yeah, your exactly. confidence. You were almost yeah. being worthy of like playing but, a part. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so Jack was like, look, you know, you need to be confident. Like when you step onto that gym floor, it was like, recognize that you are the best person on that day in that gym to teach those people. It was quite an interesting thing to think about because he said like, you, there's some millions of talented coaches in the world, but if you just flew them in and just got them to start the class, they wouldn't be in the best place to coach those people because they don't know them. They don't know the gym. They right. don't know the programming. They don't know the history. Yep. You know all of that. So you are the best person. And he says, every time you walk onto that gym floor to take a class, I want you to say that like in your own head, go, I'm the best person right now at this time to take this class. And and not that I really actually do that now, but I do feel myself changing to max the coach mm. as I step forward to take a class. And I feel like maybe something that the members could take away is like, what are you like? What do you want to be like in the CrossFit class? And can you create that person for yourself? And, yeah. and by the way, it's completely normal to have fears and doubts and worries. And that, you know, Tyson Fury explained that quite eloquently on this podcast, like, I'm a normal man. Of course, I fear um, fighting Deontay Wilder. He's, you know, six foot four and 110 kilos and yeah, not yeah. people out for fun. Yeah. But when I'm in the ring, I'm Gypsy King. Yeah. I'm Gypsy King, not scared. Yeah, it's good that because you, you've got a massive life outside the gym and you come to the gym for an hour of the day, right? And only three or four times a week or five or whatever or two, whatever you can manage. And it's good to bring yourself to the gym and then try to let go of everything else that's happened in your life up to that point as much as possible. People obviously have different lifestyles and different things to deal with at any one day, which makes make that harder. It does. I'm not saying it, it doesn't and not diminishing anyone's experience. It's just taking, thinking about that attitude in training, as you mentioned there, Max, to say, like we mentioned with the episode about being in a CrossFit gym makes you a better person. It's that idea of a CrossFit gym is about new skills, hard things, heavy weights, and having fun with your mates. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it just did. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> Wish we had a sound like that. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's true in that if you can then bring that attitude to the gym of, even if it's two, we mentioned about two workout movements on the board might get you, oh man, they suck. Like mm. I hate thrusters and burpees. That open workout where it was row and thrusters, like, ugh. But if you can then say to yourself, if you can spin that, reframe that to a more, it's thought reframing at the end of the day, reframe yeah. it to a more helpful thing that you might say to a mate and say, you've been working on these recently. This is a great opportunity for you to practice your pace on the rower. This is a great opportunity for you to practice your uh, pacing on thrusters. Let's look at how we can break that down into sets so that I can be my best self in today's training session rather than think, this is going to be shit. I'm going to suck at this, going at it too hard. And then it's like confirmation bias of like, I knew I was going to be shit at that rather than approaching it with a slightly different mindset. Yeah. So I uh, look forward to hearing about some of your alter egos. 
Yeah, and, and your names. Get, get your We've names. Got Big Bad Brad. Because you can then wear those names on the Royal Rumble, can't you? Yeah. You can come in with that. Got Slick Rick, Bobby D. You know, what so was Jack Turner that you were talking about when he was... Jack Turner was, was, one, was 130 kid. 130 kid. The 130 like kid. Because after uh, semi-finals, when he snatched 130 and everybody saw it... Such a great lift. People oh, were just so walking good. around. Just like, are you that guy? 130? Guy snatched 130? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, you would love that, wouldn't you? Like, that that's a yeah. massive moment. It was a huge moment. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I hope you enjoy that, guys, and take something away from it. Look forward to asking you what your alter ego is going to be in the gym and yeah. what your trigger switches are going to be. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Shire Fit Podcast with Max and Johnny. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week for another episode. Thank you.